Dear God, thank you for this wonderful day. Please help us to listen to Pastor Will's sermon. Please help our hearts to be open in hearing what he is saying. Thank you for this wonderful time together in fellowship. Amen. Amen, amen. This will be the second time I've heard this sermon. So that probably couldn't have been a more appropriate prayer to help us listen to this sermon. I'm going to do my best to not wander. Uh, after you do it the, the first time, you kind of get it all done. And the second time, you feel a little bit more free. And so I apologize for anything that comes out of my mouth, I guess, during, the, during this service. So if you have your Bible with us, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're just picking up where we left off. We're going to be 11 and 12 today, uh, verse 11 and 12. We've been talking in this series, obviously working through um, the, book of, uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians. Again, if you're maybe your first time with us, give you a little bit of context. This, is, um, this book was written to the church in Thessalonica. They were a really, really young church, again, facing fierce persecution um, as really, really young believers. So there, there are a lot of challenges for them that they're having to face. They're also super young in that they don't really, uh, they're not uh, really mature spiritually. They've not had a lot of uh, people around them, as we, many of us have grown up in church, that we can kind of look to. They're kind of like, Paul came in, he kind of won all these people together, kind of assembled them and said, all right, here you go. And then he, he went off and did something else. And so they're kind of just this young church still trying to figure it out, work through some of their issues. And Paul is dealing with, it, with their issues, dealing with how they respond during persecution, but also just really trying to encourage them and to challenge them. And so just remember that as we go through this particular book, that these are young believers, Young believers, and I think many of us in this room can relate to that as well. There is the, we may be believers, and we, but let's not even say just really young. They are young, yes, but they're also just um, not terribly mature in their faith. And there are uh, those of us in this room. I know I went for a good many of my years as a believer, not terribly mature in my faith. I just I was saved, but then you know the the impact of of, of scripture and, and Bible teaching did not have a, a ton of impact on my daily life, and so. Paul here is really just trying to encourage the church and trying to instruct them and guide them. And so what we learn from the church in Thessalonica, honestly, is that they're a lot like us. They're a lot like us. Their, their, their desire is to, to walk with Jesus, to honor him, to love him, but it's a struggle. And I think a lot of us can relate to that um, <laughs> in this room, at least. Um, I know I can, for sure. Do you guys remember... Um, Maybe you're, maybe, I don't know, I'm, I feel like every, every, obviously every day I get older, but I remember being in college, and the last song we sang here kind of reminds me of that as well. Um, I went to Oklahoma Baptist University in the great city of Shawnee, Oklahoma, 30 minutes from Oklahoma City, so we spent a lot of time in Oklahoma City because there was nothing to do uh, in Shawnee, Oklahoma. So we went, uh, we, would, we would drive, we would, uh, on a Friday night or on a Saturday, we would drive from Shawnee, Oklahoma, 30 minutes down I-40 right into uh, Oklahoma City. So it took you about 35 minutes. At least it should take you about 35 minutes. Uh, many of you in this room probably could whittle that down to about 23. Uh, I know I, we whittled it down on many occasions a little bit faster than that. But one of the things that we used to do all the time, and you do it as well, even do it today, is you listen to the radio. I listen to the radio all the time. I don't drive that far. I mean, I live eight minutes from here, and I pretty much come back and forth from here. I don't drive a ton. But I always listen to the radio when I'm in the car. I bounce around from three different stations mainly. I go from, like, some Christian station, whether that's CFR or that's K-Love or something like that. Then I'll bounce to talk radio. 
and listen to whatever's on the talk radio, whatever I can find, and then, or I'll bounce to classic rock. That's pretty much what I do. I bounce between those two things as I'm driving. And it's kind of interesting as we bounce between these, these stations, in particular the songs, uh, the, the stations that, are, that are, have music on there, is how I can hear a particular song and it takes me back to a particular place. Like this last song that we just sang, for example, that takes me back to, you know, college, right after college, early, early um, youth ministry days, back in 02, something right around there. We're singing, I'm, I'm trying to lead a praise band, and we're singing those songs. And it takes me back. It takes me back to that moment where I had uh, my, my good buddy and drummer Tyler Boydston at the time playing drums for me, who was an eighth grader, you know, and ha- we're, praise the Lord for him. He was an incredible eighth grader, drummer, but it could have been a lot worse, you know, and we're just trying to, I mean, it just takes me back to those moments. It takes me back when I hear a song, uh, you know, that I remember hearing played in my house as a five, six-year-old, you know, whether that was Leonard Skinner or something like that, right? Like, there was all of these songs that were being played, and they always take me back. Well, the other day, I was driving in the car, listening to classic rock, and this is how old I'm getting. Classic, when the songs that were on in college are now on classic rock stations, Oh my goodness. I'm sitting there going, how is this on classic rock? And you start doing the math and you're going, ooh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's coming. And I remember I'm driving down the road and uh, a song from the band Creed came on. And if you remember the band Creed, um, kind of a rock and roll band, they had, a, they had, they had a, the first real album that came out had the song on there. It's called What's This Life For? It was a great record. Uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. And within the record, on this particular record, and actually in all the records that they have produced, there's a lot of uh, lyrics in regards to spiritual things. Scott Stapp is the lead singer there, struggled with his faith and grew up in a, in a Christian home and then struggled with it, came back to the Lord. And he's, it's always been kind of a roller coaster ride uh, of faith with him. And so all of their songs and their electric guitar player, Matt Tremonti, had a, had a uh, similar experience in, with faith. And, and they wrote these songs and questions about faith are always in there. As a matter of fact, if you were to listen to this first album that has what, what, uh, What's This Life For, and you listen to the song Torn, I believe it's that song, but within that particular song and the lyrics of it shares the gospel from Jesus dying for your sins and coming to faith in Christ. Like it's, it's all there, shares it. So as I'm driving down, I'm hearing this song, What's This Life For, and it automatically puts me back to driving on I-40 between Shawnee and Oklahoma City in my 1988 Honda Accord with the lights black that had the lights that flipped up. So if the light didn't work, it was like winking at you the whole time. I mean, it was, it was a fine ride. Uh, just a little side note, that car died when we graduated high school in my great-grandfather-in-law's driveway as I went to serve the church that he was serving in, and I sold that car for $300. $300, and I bought a PlayStation 2. That is for you. As my wife is saying, stop, don't tell that story. But what's this life for on the radio? Just blazing. It had it in the CD player, and we were, we've got it so loud because we had the windows down trying to save money, not using the air conditioner driving. Apparently that's like a thing, and maybe it's not a thing. And we had the windows down and the wind coming, the radio cranked up, and we were just killing it. It was great. And listening to all these Creed songs going down the road. But I think it's interesting how... The question that the song asks, what's this life for, is still 
a question that is asked probably more than any other question in the world. But it's also asked of believers. The world is asking it all the time. If you were to go to Google right now and say, what's the meaning of life or what's the purpose of life, as I did this week, you'll be astonished to find that there are thousands and millions of articles and people have, been, have, have written about it. There's books from all of, of history that have had, been trying to answer this same question of what's this life for. I went on to goodreads.com or whatever, and I found the books that they, were, that they listed, the people that had taken these books on their thing, with on their platform, and they put them into, into, into categories of the purpose or the meaning of life. And there were hundreds of books. And I went through and I scrolled down at least 100 books in the Bible wasn't a single book as listed as what the purpose of life is. All kinds of stuff. All kinds of books that are written. And what's the meaning of life? A French novelist, Albert Camus, said this. He said that the meaning of life is the most urgent of questions. This guy's not a believer. And he says that the meaning of life is the most urgent of questions. So when you Google, when you go to the Google and you type it in, what's the meaning of life? Here's some answers that you will get. You will get... The meaning of life is to be a better person. It's to help others. The meaning of life is to live, laugh, and love. The meaning of life is to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. The meaning of life is financial security. Plato, we all know who Plato was. He was a pupil of our a friend of Eastwood here, of Socrates, Socrates right? He said that the meaning of life is attaining the highest form of knowledge. Tony Robbins, who many of y'all are familiar with uh, in this room, he says that the purpose of life, the real meaning in life is progress. It's progress. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish Austrian psychiatrist he was born in 1905, and he, in, his, in his 40s, about, about the time he turned 40, he endured concentra concentration camps from Nazi Germany. And over the course of four years, he went to three different camps, and, uh, including Auschwitz, and there he watched his mother and his brother murdered in a gas chamber. After being released, after Germany surrendered and lost the war, and he was released from these concentration camps. He wrote a book called, the Man's, called Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, Frankel says that the primary human drive is not pleasure, it's not live, laugh, love, it's not eat, drink, and be merry, none of those things, but the pursuit of what we find meaningful, of what we find meaningful, which is pretty subjective, because we all have things in our life that are meaningful, J.I. Packer, a great uh, theologian, uh, passed away just a couple years ago, wrote this. He says, God alone made life, and God alone can tell us its meaning. So it's God alone who tells us what our purpose is, what this life and what, this, what the meaning of this life is. 
So purpose in life is not something that we can obtain in our own efforts. The thing is, if we have whatever our pursuits are, whatever it is that our passions are, if those are what the things that provide meaning in our life, they are, they are pursuits on our own effort. And when we pursue things on our own effort and our own desires, we seek those things to fulfill our purpose, we're always going to be left wanting, wanting more. And you guys have been there. I like food. I mean, I, I like it more, it's more than I like it. I love food. I like food. And, and we can eat, but you know what? I'm hungry a little while later because it never fully satisfies. It never fully satisfies. And so when we seek after our own purposes and our own desires, we're always left wanting. Well, Jesus says in a prayer to, to the Father in, in John 17, 3, he says this, he says, he says, and this is eternal life, not just life, and this is eternal life, that they, the world, everyone, you and I, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus here tells us that this is the meaning of life, of eternal life, even more specific, is that we, people, know God. John Piper says this, he says, the meaning of life is to know God and to enjoy God and to reflect some of the beauty, God, uh, the beauty of God as we know him in Christ and one day to see him perfectly and unendingly enjoy him. So Pastor John Piper, the meaning of life is to know God. Well, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul is encouraging and telling the these young believers, what their purpose is in life. So Paul tells us by way of the church in Thessalonica that as that Christ followers, if you're a believer in here, Christ followers should live worthy lives for a worthy purpose. Live a worthy life for a worthy purpose. So if you have your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you would, if you're able, let's all stand together. In honor of God's word, and let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, and he says, To this end we pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that in our next few moments together that you would help us understand it. Lord, help us to be transformed by it. And Lord, that we would be transformed into the image of Jesus. And Lord, may you work in and through us for our good and for your glory. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So as a Christian, and again, this book was written to Christians, people who claim, a, the, claim faith in Christ. So as a Christian, how often do you, because I know I have, how often do you wonder what God's will is for your life? How often do you wonder that, what God's will is for your life? Now, the details are going to be different in every single one of our lives. The particulars are going to be different, but the overall purpose of our life is relatively simple. But many of us in this room as a Christian, we may be 
We may be wandering around aimlessly through life. It's, it's almost like, uh, I mean, it's kind of like that dad at Bed Bath & Beyond. Have you been there? Like when you, maybe you've been in there too. I've been in there with my daughter and I've been like, I don't even know what this place is. And you just kind of, you're just wandering around aimlessly like you have. Many of us are walking around our Christian life like the dad in that store who has no idea what's going on and can't kind of relate and can't figure things out like I've been there. I can relate to you in that. But we walk around aimlessly, not really sure what we're supposed to, to do in our life, with our life. I don't know, maybe that's you. And if you're here this morning, there's a couple things we want to look at in this passage of Scripture that, that we can glean from. The first thing is this, is that Christian, there is a desired outcome for your life. So there's a desired outcome for your life. Paul says in verse 11 here, he says, to this end, we always pray for you. Well, what end is that? He says, we're always praying for you. Always means he's doing it all the time. All the time he's praying for this church because he loves this church. He loves these people. Praying that they grow in their faith and they love Jesus. And he says, to this end, we're always praying for you. Well, what is that end? Well, it is a reference to the, the purpose of this subsequent prayer here in the, in the next part of this verse. He says, we, pray for you, we always pray for you this. What? That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So he's praying that God would make them worthy. He's always praying for us because this Christian life is difficult. Paul's praying for them because the the things that they're experiencing are hard and they're difficult. And the results of his prayer are this, that God would make them worthy of his calling. He's tying this section together with what we heard in verse 5. If you want to go back, so this is evidence of, and this is in 2 Thessalonians 1, 5. This is evidence of righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. So he is praying that God would make them worthy of his calling. The word make is an interesting word there. This is telling the church in Thessalonica, as, as well as us today, that God here is making them worthy, that God would make them worthy. This isn't something that we do. We don't make ourselves worthy on our own. God, in fact, does this with his own work and on his own effort. There's a fun theological term that you guys can, you can throw around at lunch today. It's called imputed righteousness. Is that if we, as believers, this theological term is that we don't do anything to become worthy, to become holy, to stand before a holy God. We are actually imputed with righteousness. The righteousness that Christ has, when we come to faith in Christ, it's like we get covered with his righteousness. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see the sinners, in fact, that we are, but he sees the Savior whom has imputed and has given his righteousness to you and I. And he says that this doesn't happen on our effort. God makes us worthy. So God here is the one who does the work. And 
And he makes us worthy. Makes us worthy of his calling. This is a, this is a, a reference to the call to salvation. That when we are truly saved and walking with Christ, that he is making us worthy. For those of us who have been called, this call to salvation. This is between now, the moment when you come to faith in Christ, and the second coming of Christ. Christ, Paul is imploring them to live a life worthy of her salvation. So he's saying, what does it mean to be worthy? Well, well, worthy is coming to faith in Christ, and God is going to make us worthy. And then because of what he has done on our behalf, we live for him out of gratitude for what he has done. But he also says at the end of verse 11 there, he says, God, make you wor- um, God may make you worthy and may fulfill. This is just a reminder again of who is doing the work. You're not fulfilling anything. God is doing the work. God is the one who does this. And that he will fulfill every resolve for good. Every desire for good. Every determination for good. So that in their resolve, they would be empowered by God to live the Christian life. But not only just every, uh, every resolve for good and every work of faith. This means that they, the good works they do as a result of their faith and trust in Christ. So God here again is doing the work and he's going to fulfill every good work of faith. The word fulfill means to accomplish or to bring to its proper end. Paul is asking God to complete the work that he began in them at their conversion. When, they became, when God called them to himself, complete that work. This is a prayer for their ongoing sanctification. Another fancy word that you can use at lunch. We've got imputed righteousness and sanctification. Sanctification is the work that God does in and through us, through the experiences and the things that he allows us to go through. Sanctification in my life has, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I've tried to think about this, I'm pretty sure I've never had anything in my life that has sanctified me that was like uber happy, right? Like I think God knows me, like most of my sanctification happens when things are tough and difficult, when they're hard. We've gone through seasons of relationship issues, whether that's between Bev and I, I've got just kind of working off those, those rough edges and we just having these conversations just as a husband and wife trying to work through life. Whether that's being sick or an illness that we're having to deal with, a family member having an illness that we have to deal with, relational problems, whatever it may be. Children, God is using those things, whether we like it or not, to sanctify us, to sanctify us. The word sanctification just simply means to, to make us holy or purified. And when we use it within the Christian world, it just kind of just remains this, uh, kind of means this entire Christian experience that we have. From the time that we come to faith in Christ and the time that we die, we meet him in heaven. We are being sanctified. It's a never-ending process in which God slowly and surely transforms us into the image of Jesus. We pray that almost every single week here, that what happens within these walls is not just lip service on our behalf, but that we are transformed. That the songs pummel our hearts. 
in preparation for the word that we preached, that we be transformed, that we leave this place different, that we treat our waitresses and our waiters at lunch different. Why? Because of the gratitude of our heart. What God has done for us, we want to do. We want to extend grace to others because of what God has done for us. But again, he, can, he follows it up. How are we being sanctified? How is it that we are being sanctified? Paul says in, at the end of verse 11, he says, by his power. This is not on our own effort. Three different occasions within his verse, he says, you can't do anything. This is all me. I'm working this out. He says, by his power. This is how God will fulfill every resolve for good and every good work of faith is through his power. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes in his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. He says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. God will surely sanctify us, and he will use any means necessary to transform us into the image of Jesus. Living the way we are called as believers is fully and completely dependent on the gracious and powerful activity of God in our lives. There are some of us this morning um, who are struggling to live out their life for Christ, and it is because we are depending on our own power to do so. God, we ask the question, what is the meaning of life as a believer? What does it mean life? the meaning of life? We'll nail it down at the end, but the meaning of life is to love God. To allow yourself to be sanctified through him and to be transformed into the image of Jesus. We often understand the truth that our salvation is entirely by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. However, we then come along, at some point we, we fall under the false assumption that we are supposed to live the Christian life on our own in our own power. But we can't do it on our own. We can't live under our, we can't do it under our own power. If you're a Christ follower this morning, then you are called to live a life that is worthy of the grace that you have been given. This is the desired outcome in your life, and this can only be achieved if the Lord supplies the ability and the power to do so. And while this is certainly the outcome, we are to strive to see uh, in our lives, our living of righteous lives is, is, is not so that we can be seen as righteous. In fact, living our lives for the purpose of godliness is not so people will think we are great. When it comes to living worthy lives, it is far beyond any personal objective. Which brings us to our second thing. Believer, there is a divine objective for your life. What Paul says in verse 12, 2 Thessalonians 1.12, he says, So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that all these things that you were trying to do on your own power, all these things, were like those things can only happen the power of God, and for what purpose? So that, linking the two together, those things here, so that, those things will happen, so that 
the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. May be glorified in you. When we, through his power, live out the lives we are called to, we portray the character of Christ and his name is glorified. And he says that, yes, he is glorified through what it is that we do and all, all our efforts. Like, he is the one making all that work and it's, 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 it's glorifying him. That is our purpose. That is our goal is to glorify him and then um, he in us and then you in him. So how are we glorified in Christ in the, in the, at the end of that verse? We are glorified through Christ uh, through the salvation he has freely offered. Then, at the reunion of Christ, God will glorify his people. So we glorify him, and we will then be glorified in heaven. It's in him and through him in which we are called to live a life that is worthy. So a worthy life, glorifying Christ, will result in that ultimate glory on the last day, which is union with Christ in heaven. So just as God will be glorified in his, in his people living worthy lives, so too they will be glorified in Jesus because of what he has done for us. This is that sanctification process we're talking about, we've mentioned. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. He's already told the church in Thessalonica this one time, he's like, we have encouraged you, we've exhorted you to Walk in a manner worthy of God. Paul finishes the, the current verse by saying that he will be glorified and that we will be glorified according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are glorified only through his grace. This means that the glory Jesus will receive through our lives and their lives and the glory they have directed and that we have are a direct result of the fact that God has acted graciously toward him. It is in God's grace and mercy that we are glorified and that he is glorified. All this is the work of God in and through us. So fellow Christian, in this room, if you're here today, the, the goal of your life the goal of your life isn't about how much money we can make. The goal of your life isn't how much fun we can have. The goal of your life is simply the glory of the Lord. Now, can God have glory through the fun in your life? Absolutely. Can God have glory through the, the financial gains that you make? Absolutely, he can. But the purpose of your life as a believer is to bring glory to him. The Westminster Catechism sums this up perfectly, in my opinion. They say this, the chief end of man, in other words, the purpose of man. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what God has done. He has called us to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If I had a life verse or one that you would say, hey, what is your life verse, Will? And I think sometimes we've, we've done that here or whatever. Um, the verse I always go back to in this regard, and I got a lot of, there's a lot of great verses. But the verse I typically go back to all the time is, is Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Where Jesus is telling all those who are listening, those people who have faith in him, 
who would have repented of their sin and trusted him for salvation, he says this, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So, believer, the objective of your life is that the Lord be glorified in and through you. So we look at our life and we sit there and go, what does our life look like? And I look at my life and say, what does my life look like? So the way that we interact with others, the way that we uh, or the, the measure of grace that we show others. Your ability to forgive one another. Our speech that we use. Our pride, our dishonesty, our crudeness, our hypocrisy, our anger, our rudeness. Our lack of self-control. Our constant negativity, our lack of love. Our desire to argue, our impatience. In our harsh nature, do not portray the character of Christ. And I get it, it's hard. It's, it's incredibly difficult to live for Jesus every moment. That's what he's called us to do, to live a life that is worthy of our calling, worthy of the salvation that we have. We started watching this week with my family, the Chosen series, that we're, you know, season three is out, and we hadn't started watching yet, so we started watching. We had this brilliant idea, I'm not sure whose idea it was, um, probably me, um, to to watch three episodes on Friday night. And we just home, was home. It wasn't a big deal. We didn't have anything else going on, so we decided to watch three. The problem was, is I think we started at like 9.30 or 10, and we're going to watch these episodes. Kids stayed up, and it was crazy. So we, get, we got to bed at like one. I mean, I had one kid who was like this, trying to hold his eyes open watching. Like, it was, it was a late night. And I remember, so I went to bed at like one o'clock. My body can't do that anymore. Like, you've been there. Like, I, when you're 18... I remember being in college and sleeping three hours and going all day. The rest of the day wasn't a big deal. I could handle it. At 43, that, the life doesn't fly like that anymore. I'm, I was miserable the next day. Woke up exhausted and tired. Woke up impatient. Not terribly kind. Rude. Although I'm trying not to be. It just kind of happened. It just kind of came out. Like, I'm trying not. Am I really being that? I'm, I, wasn't, I wasn't terribly friendly because I was exhausted and I was tired. But it, regardless of this, the, the excuses that I have, I'm still called to live a life that is worthy of my calling. Regardless of the bad day that I'm having, regardless of the people I'm having to interact with or, or what this job requires of me, we're still, God has told us to live a life that is worthy of our calling, to extend grace to people. Christ is glorified in your life when you think, when we act, when we live and we react like Jesus would react. And that is our goal. That is our ultimate goal. As a follower of Christ, the purpose or the desired outcome of our life is that, that we, we live a life that is worthy of our salvation. Because if we've come to faith in Christ, God changes things. He changes us. If we've repented of our sin and trusted Jesus, we've gotten saved, as we say in the church world. But our life isn't any different than prior to getting saved, then we, we haven't been saved. Because Jesus changes everything. He changes our desires. He changes the things that we say. 
changes how we act. And he has called us to live a life that is worthy of our salvation. This morning, when you think about your life, you think about where you're at. Maybe this is a time this morning as we, we roll into this response time here. If you're a believer here this morning, maybe this is an opportunity for you to pray over your family or your friend or a spouse or whoever that may be, that they be, they be found worthy of the calling of salvation. Because we need his grace and we need his power to live this life. And may this morning, may we fill this place with prayers of God's people for themselves and for their families and for others. And so here in just a second, as we go into a time of response, maybe it's a time where you just sit there and you just pray. And pray that we might live lives that bring glory to God. Maybe you're in this room today and you're struggling to know what your purpose in life may be. Well, I can tell you this morning that your purpose in life is to glorify God. But the only way that you can glorify God is by coming to faith in Christ. You will never be able to glorify God without a relationship with him. And so I encourage you and I challenge you to come this morning, repent of your sin and trust Jesus for salvation. May today be the day of your salvation. John Piper wrote, in regards to purpose in life, and he said the ultimate question is not the purpose in life. The ultimate question is not even who you are. The ultimate question is not who you are, but whose you are. If you're looking for real meaning in life, eternal meaning in life, that meaning is found through Jesus Christ. If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. We want to give you that opportunity to do so. As we move into this time of response, it's my prayer that today would be the day of your salvation. And for those of us in this room who are believers, may today be a day of repentance. May we be challenged and encouraged to live lives that are worthy of our calling. Worthy of our calling.